What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And we are coming at you. First episode of the new year, Pat. Something we are so excited about. I think we should start off here before we get into the more negative game action <laughs> from Nova's end of 2022. But for everybody that listened to even a minute of our content in 2022, thank you so much. And we are so excited for all of the new content we're going to bring in 2023. Thank you to everyone for listening. And we are pumped for a, a big year here in, in 2023. How was your New Year's? It was good. I actually loved, I didn't love having, I think it was Thanksgiving was when Nova played Iowa State, right? Yes, correct. Didn't love that, but I did love having Villanova on New Year's Eve. I thought that was a cool, I love the two o'clock time. Two o'clock, anyway. yeah, two o'clock time was perfect for it. Yeah, perfect little event to have during the day. What about you? You were there. I, I was there, yeah. uh, which was great. And then it was not great. Um, but uh, of course, very fun to to be there. And then even rung in the new year by going to MetLife for that Giants game on New Year's Day to watch them clinch a playoff berth. So it was a good New Year's for me, other than the, of course, game results on Saturday at the fin. I'm sure the Giants one made that feel a little bit better. It's a good sports weekend, though. It did. But man, that Villanova loss hurts. <laughs> yeah. So that's all the positivity you're going to hear in this episode. Pretty much. Sure. Yep. No. So Villanova's loss, 68 to 66 was the final to Marquette. Marquette moves to three and one in the conference, 11 and four overall. And Villanova gets back to 500, seven and seven, just one and two in the conference. One of my, my biggest takeaways from the game is that that start to Big East play, that three-game gauntlet mm-hmm. at St. John's. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Home versus St. John's at UConn and then at home versus Marquette. We would have loved for the Cavs to win two of the three. I think that would have put the team in a really good spot going into a winnable January is the way I'm thinking of it right now. A lot of games to try and get themselves back on track. They only finish one and three after a tough, a tough loss to UConn in a game that they should have won, but of course, one of the best teams in the country, you sit with that. But a, a, a loss against Marquette that was just unacceptable, and it's making me start to worry about what Marquette has over Nova on the road because they just turn into this different beast, and Villanova cannot beat them at home. Frustration levels are pretty high uh, coming out of that game on Saturday, and even as we record on Monday, uh, you can hear it in both of our voices. They most certainly uh, are still high. As you mentioned, this was a really important stretch for Villanova to win two out of three. Now, I don't think it was ever likely they were going to beat Connecticut, How even though they probably or had an opportunity to win that game right. uh, based on how the flow of it did turn out. But having your first two uh, or two out of your first three games at home at the Finneran Pavilion, the St. John's game, they needed to one. They took care of business. The Marquette game, Marquette is a good team. Do not get me wrong. The frustration does not come about dropping to, this isn't a, you know, a Georgetown type opponent that they lost to, but at home, with the environment that it is, with how Villanova had been progressing, I thought Villanova was going to win that game on Saturday. I really did. And to come away with a, with a loss and how they lost, which are many things that we will talk about through this podcast, uh, really, really uh, discouraging for me. Furthermore, they lost a home game here. They only lost one home game all of last year. And two years ago, they did not lose a single home game. So it, it's not a great start to the conference here going in one and two. And understanding that this team really their best win is against Oklahoma. They need to pick up wins against teams like Marquette to pad that tournament resume. Cause right now 
I mean, I a week ago, I told you I still felt pretty good about Villanova being able to make the NCAA tournament. We look where they are now after losing a home game to Marquette. It, they have to go on some sort of run here in Big East play because they are going to run out of opportunities quickly to pick up wins. That'll be really important come March. So that was exactly my my second thing top of mind after this loss is that it just makes the rest of the season so much harder. They're like on a thread right now. Yeah, they're going to have to win some big time road games, big time road games. And if Villanova can't even beat Marquette at home, I don't think that makes you feel very confident that they're going to beat Marquette on the road. Yeah, because the five star form is a, is a really formidable place to play. And I know that you wanted to mention it. We talked about it before hitting record that win against St. John's is becoming less and less of a big deal as conference play goes on because once again, St. John's just isn't able to hold up against Big East play. That Seton Hall game was just, that's an embarrassment for what happened on New Year's Eve for them. They gave up 88 points to Seton Hall. I don't know if you gave Seton Hall two games, there's a chance they don't score 88 against some opponents. They dropped 88 against the Johnnies. That is unbelievable. Of course, had Villanova as well. And Xavier was a very, very tough game, though they did keep that one close. St. John's is also in a lot of trouble right now. Uh, and, and we'll see what happens with Mike Anderson as the season progresses. But yeah, to, to your point here, that that win, incredibly key for Nova to start off Biggie's play with a win. But resume-wise, it, it's not looking as good as I think a lot of us hoped it would be later on. Yeah, and so I mentioned that January, I think, can be a winning month they have xavier at home it has to be (laughs) right that has to be the first real marquee win especially after xavier just beat yukon which was huge but then they've got a stretch of depaul butler georgetown butler has been pretty abysmal in conference play after looking really good to start the season overall you've got at st john's which is always tough and then at home versus providence on the 29th at the wells fargo center which i just got my tickets for yesterday very nice Providence is leading the team along with Xavier 4-0 in the conference. So I'm very impressed with what I've seen from Cooley. Yeah, and, that and isn't going to be as much of a gimme game as I thought. So that rounds out January besides Xavier and maybe Providence. Not a ton of ways to gain any traction in terms of that NCAA tournament hope, like you were just saying. Yeah, and the Xavier game is going to be incredibly difficult. It, it is a home game, but... You, you saw it against UConn, and I think you're starting to see it more and more. Sean Miller is going to have those guys firing as the season continues to go on. Actually, I know you had mentioned it in a previous episode for that Villanova content creator pick we did. I believe I was the only one to pick Xavier to win the Big East tournament, and I feel pretty firm about how good I think X can be. And this is only year one under Miller, which is a little scary. So that is a very difficult game on Saturday. And as you said, Providence has been getting better but it's not a, oh, well, they, they could win that game. They have to beat Providence at the end of January if they want to keep this thing alive. And we're talking in more definites here because that's where the season has gotten to at this point. It is it is go time here as we move into January, as we move into 2023. Villanova has to start firing on all cylinders or this thing could get lost. Totally. So two-game losing streak at UConn versus Marquette, two-point loss to Marquette. And uh, <laughs> the, the way you talked about the season so far, Happy New Year, everybody. (laughs) It's a perfect way to sum up this game, too, because Villanova just let it get away. There was no doubt in my mind, really up until about the three-minute mark, that Villanova was going to lose this game because they had one of their best three-point shooting performances. I thought it had been maybe the best they had shot from three since LaSalle, which was the first game of the season when they shot 65% from three. But no, they they shot that well against St. Joe's and against BC the last 
true power five conference opponent that they shot that well was Oklahoma. So it's good to see 36.4%. Upon further thought, though, and this is where I really wanted to start because it goes into all the things we've said all season long about game plan and how this team personnel-wise is different from years of past. Upon further thought, I actually think it made this loss worse that Villanova shot so well from a three because it made guys who normally don't put up more than two or three shot attempts from beyond the arc a game shoot four or five. And that is the exact opposite of what this team should be doing to win. Yeah, and I I would still caveat it with while, yes, they shot better than their season average, they are a poor three-point shooting team season average-wise, so it's not that hard to to shoot over their season average. And furthermore, and it's something that could really dig into deep here, uh, the shot selection was very poor on a lot of those threes. And now they made some of them, which was really key for them to be able to stay in this game, but they still took over 50% of their field goal attempts from beyond the arc. And I will continue to scream from the rooftops. That does not match up with how this team is built. And they took nine, three point field goal attempts in the uh, final nine and a half minutes of this game. In the final nine and a half minutes, they scored eight points total. They only took three twos in those last nine and a half minutes there were uh, you had Dixon missed uh, two kind of mid-range jumpers and Mark Armstrong had a dunk. That's it. And I, I think that is inexcusable for for how Villanova finished that game. And there are plenty more that we'll talk about uh, in terms of finishing. But that's where I actually do not give them a ton of props on the three pointers, because I think they took way too many poor ones, even though they were able to find a way to, to make a reasonable number. Because it, it still wasn't great. No, I... I... I will scream this from the rooftops. I really think that their sweet spot is between 20 and 25 three-point attempts per game. I agree with you. 33 against Marquette. And Alan Ray had the perfect tweet. If you're not following him on Twitter, you should. Do it. He's the best. His tweet was like, this is the game. And then it was below. Make a three, Marquette make a three. Pretty much. Marquette make a three. Make a two, Marquette make a two. Make a two, Marquette make a three. Like there was... You could literally count on two hands, probably, the amount of times where Villanova scored on offense and then got a stop defensively. Truly, like less than 10 times. I think that happened. Both offenses were just firing. And if you liked watching offense, this was obviously a fun mm. game to watch. Defense, not so much because it was pretty much pretty non-existent from both sides, even though the score was only 68-66. I thought the scoring distribution was better than it was against UConn. Mm-hmm. Listening back to our episode last week, in that uh, UConn game recap, I thought you had a really good point about how post Cam Whitmore era, the team has done a much better job distributing points across the board against UConn. They didn't do that. It was back to Daniels and Dixon really carrying yeah. the the brunt of it offensively. It wasn't so against Marquette. You had Whitmore at 14, Dixon at 13, Daniels 13, Slater and Arch with eight, and then six from Longino off the bench. But when Caleb's only shooting three for nine from three, then that means that the shot selection isn't right. Why aren't mm-hmm. you feeding Dixon more down low? He only had 10 field goal attempts. So I just didn't like the way that point distribution evened out when you look deeper into the box score in terms of how many or where those attempts were across the floor. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you, you teed me up wonderfully there with the, as a, you know, kind of talking about the, the three point shot selection. I thought that was really, really poor and was incredibly frustrating. And and we go to Caleb Daniels as well, who has been a really strong scorer for this team has been a really key scorer for this team, put up 13 points. It was four or 14, but what really kills me is the three of nine from, from beyond the arc. And it goes into a larger theme now with Caleb, where he's shooting 34% for the season. That's not terrible mindset that is actually right at the the team's average i believe but the past two years he shot 39 percent and 37 percent from deep further than that his current number at 34 percent is 100 percent inflated by the fact he shot six of seven from beyond the arc in that first lasalle game so that really helps out the percentage here first game of the season too. yeah but as we look where kind of there he is trending right now in basically over the last month, so going back to the pen game, he is shooting just 26% from three. And that is absolutely killer because it is very that is very much below average. That's like David Jones territory for St. John's that we had talked about from a week or two ago. And what it shows is that he needs to get back to what we have harped many times where use that frame, get in the lane, be the one guard that can really back down for Villanova and go back to that Villanova basketball that we all know and love. He's the guy that has the ability to do it. And he really has trans, I shouldn't say transformed, but he's really keyed in on being more of that guy that's standing out by the arc and going up with those threes. Most certainly he can make them. And it's a very important part of his game, but he's gotten a little two, three point happy with it. And you can't get that three point happy when you're not making him. And over the last, month he certainly is not so that's a big part of what Villanova doing on offense too they need to get him going and then as you said offensively I actually thought things were really good for Villanova and how they flowed for a long portion of this game and then the last 10 minutes happened and it was a complete train wreck they finished with only 22 points in the second half they scored 44 in the first half so it the hot and cold, the inconsistency, I think that has been a real theme for Nova all throughout this season, and we saw it to extreme levels on Saturday. Yeah, they actually paced Marquette with assists, which is the last thing I ex- expected from this team. Tyler Kolick is one of the best distributors in the country. So I love, can we stop there for a second? I love watching so, Tyler Kolick play basketball. Yeah. He does not get a lot of the press and a lot of the attention that some of the other guys in the big east get and understandably so there are some freak athletes that can really score the basketball but tyler kolick's passing and he doesn't always get an assist for it but very often he does because he's so good at it his ability to pick out passing lanes and bounce passes and run an offense i i love watching him play and i have to give him major major credit and i apologize for stopping you there but i wanted to make sure he got it because he is a great great player no, it's a really good point. He leads the Big East in a lot of those underrated categories, like passing and assist to turnovers. He was, he's never going to make mistakes. He is just so gifted. at. Pa- it's funny, like when I was watching the replays, there are times when he catches the ball and passes it and doesn't even look. No. It just comes that easy to him that he knows where all of his guys are going to be on the floor. And like the floor general he is, He's able to find them in the perfect moments. And you're right. We love when players score and and an average 40% from the three-point line Mm -hmm. and can get to the line and make their free throws. Kolek doesn't do all of that as well as some of the other players on his team. But without him, this offense would be significantly weaker. I mentioned it in the preview episode. I think this is one of the more fluid offenses that Villanova has played all season long. And they've played some good offenses. So, yeah, I'm really glad you put that in there. 
I forget where I was even going, but I'm just going to. That's my with fault. This point, <laughs> with this point about offense and, and at the end of the stretch, I was mentioning that I was surprised at how well Villanova moved the ball going up against Marquette and a team that has such a good point guard as Tyler Kolick. Mm-hmm. But it's such a good point about Caleb. And I think the larger issue was just about wondering what this team's identity is. Again, we hope that this would just be an issue for the beginning of the season under the new head coach having a tough non-conference schedule, but still guys just can't carve out their roles. The only thing that makes me scared about Caleb becoming more of the driver is that what three-point shooters are going to be around the perimeter that can make that shot? Uh, there aren't really. Under under a minute, Chris Archidiacono took the three to try and take the lead, and that mm-hmm. is not what you want to see. So if Caleb's going to take it upon himself to just become a two-point machine, by all means, go ahead. Would love to see that. Turn this into a two-point offense. But that's unrealistic to think that's yeah. going to happen. And I just don't know what the answer is when you're taking away Daniels from the three-point line because he's one of the better options they, they've got so far. It, it is unrealistic to think that it will become a, a completely two-point offense, which is why I just harp on it because I want to see the distribution even out to be a, a little more cleaner than than what we are seeing right now. But it's come up a little bit, but I, I think it kind of has to go center stage now uh, and, and really why Villanova lost this game and it has been their Achilles heel all season. This defense is beyond abysmal um where where they are right now and it's just it's not getting any better which i think is what's really frustrating whitmore it i shouldn't say it's not getting any better it did get a little better when cam whitmore first came in we saw that defensive improvement where the points per game they were allowing came way down can you argue that a part of that is because they played penn bc and st joe's absolutely and i'm not going to fight you on that point but i think he did really change a little bit about what villanova can do on defense we look at things as a whole here now they currently as as ranked by ken palm this is the worst villanova defense of the last decade and 2012 was the only year worse um than than what we are currently seeing it is the second worst villanova defense over the last 20 years as according to ken palm and just looking year over year just last year they finished 23rd in the country on defense they are in the 120s right now it has been a gigantic drop off and a part of that not a part of that most of that is very easily explainable they lost colin gillespie they lost jermaine samuels and justin moore hasn't played a minute this season that's all really really important and they've gotten a lot younger where guys of course aren't as familiar with a a defensive system here but if you're looking for what is the main reason that villanova is currently at seven and seven and and really holding on to ncaa tournament hopes by a thread because they can't defend anybody right now and and marquette really showed that in the second half so many times we've we've wondered why the defense has been so bad that it feels like we spent most of the season doing that. Mm-hmm. The thing that makes it the most frustrating for me is that we had such high hopes because this personnel is starting to look a little different. It's one of the more athletic teams that we've seen in the last decade, or maybe that's a little bit of a stretch, but Gillespie was one of the most talented players that Villanova has ever seen. Mark Armstrong is certifi- certifiably a better athlete than Gillespie was just in mm-hmm. terms of, explosiveness off the dribble and so many other things so i hoped that the defense would adapt in a better way we would see more of that press we would see guys being able to play man-to-man better because they're just so athletic and it has actually been the polar opposite in this game the defense over helped when they shouldn't have they seem to have gotten the game plan completely wrong because only 32 percent of marquette's shots come from three but they decided to pack the paint and double 
and double teamed their big guys, which always left a shooter open. And that's why Marquette was able to hit so many threes. So it was incredibly frustrating to watch. I don't know where this defense goes. It felt like it got a boost when Whitmore came in. It did, yeah. The, the rotation was switched up. Brizzy was put on the bench. Housen has been playing last minutes. You're getting rid of the defensive quote-unquote liabilities, which is harsh, but it was true at the beginning of the season. Now it's just in a rut. Now guys are making mistakes. They're completely losing their players on switches. Three-point defense has always been a strength. Uh, excuse me. Always I wish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It has always been a week a weakness. David Letts uh, tweeted at me and said, why do teams always shoot so well from three against us? And I actually laughed when I saw it because it's funny to think about that. It is not so funny anymore when teams that are not good from three have turned it into their game plan to take more shots than normal from behind the arc because Villanova can just not keep up defensively. No, they can. I mean, three-point defense is exactly... If you're looking for, well, what's the main thing here that has caused Villanova to fall from 23rd in the country on defense to 120th, I think is what they currently sit at right now. Three-point defense is exactly where you would look. Uh, They were top 40 from a year ago. They are 234th in the country right now. Uh, You know, you can look even further than that. This year, they're allowing an assist on 61% uh, of made field goals. Last year was only 50%. I think that shows that teams are getting better looks uh, against this Villanova team. There are definitely some numbers that do go into it, but... You know, as as much as offense factors in it, and we talk about it a lot, and it most certainly deserves a, a pretty big spotlight for how poor it was down the stretch. Uh, defense is the main thing that has held Villanova back thus far this season, and we we really did see it on Saturday. Yeah, and another reason why Whitmore made the defense so much better in that small sample size was because he has such a unique build yeah. that it made guarding certain positions easier for Villanova because you could put Whitmore in against a one or a five and it felt like he would be able to hold his own that's not the case anymore and you're not it feels like Slater took a step back defensively it feels like Longino would fill into that Slater role and be the defensive specialist this year that's not the case he's instead shooting four or five threes a game and making one of them which is incredibly frustrating and not what he should be out there doing I don't know where this defense goes truly Hmm. i don't know how you're going to rebound from a marquette team that shot nearly 39 percent from three what are you going to do you you take the good uconn shooting performance you take the good what other what other good three-point teams that villanova has played oklahoma was decent iowa state was decent michigan state was decent decent Marquette is not known for their three-point shooting ability and they still torched villanova from that category so i don't know how this three-point defense recovers unless you just start throwing out different looks which Neptune has completely come away from remember when we were talking feels like a lot more frequently than we do now about how they would throw a zone in every once in a while they would throw in a full court press or a three-quarter court press when was the last time we saw that yeah it's it's true especially on the pressing they did go to a zone uh, I kid you not, the second Brendan Housen came into the game, uh, they they switched straight to zone, but Housen wasn't in for very long, so it, you didn't really get to see too much of a zone. Otherwise, it was man-to-man, and Villanova struggled with, as you mentioned, switches, and and Marquette did a very nice job moving off of picks. But what what's frustrating about this game defensively, too, is if you look how things netted out, David Joplin is, is a really good scorer for them and is usually very dangerous for Marquette and, and is up there among their, their leaders in points. They held him to six points on two of 10 shooting on Saturday. And you know what? He took some 
awful shots. I felt like every shot from Joplin was some sort of fadeaway, either as a deep two or, or a three. You hold him to that, you usually feel pretty good. But what happened was that Stevie Mitchell, the Reading, Pennsylvania native, uh, who goes out there as a sophomore here, scores 19 in a career high. His previous career high was 14 against SIU Edwardsville. That can't happen. It just, it can't happen. That That's the one that really frustrates you. Cam Jones scoring 14 and hitting you four times from deep. I, I'm cool with that. Cam Jones is a stud. He, he's one of the better players in the Big East. You know that's going to happen. But allowing Stevie Mitchell to go off in a way that he really normally does not. He's a good player. Don't get me wrong. I, I like how he's developing. But 19 points from Stevie Mitchell in three threes. No, that that's not, it's not what can happen when you hold David Joplin to six. Yeah, it's so funny because I was kind of going the same way. Cam Jones is just that good. So you yeah, exactly. Kind of, you kind of like that. In the second half, while the game was live, I was thinking I would rather prosper or Igodaro go off and score 20 in the second half if that means that Marquette's going to take a hit from the three-point line that Mm -hmm. didn't happen I also thought Dixon and Slater did a good job against Igodaro and prosper who are two pretty good players in the Big East limited them to just six and eight points respectfully respectively that's a win that is a that is a good defense against two big players that had the size advantage over Dixon but it's a question that Conrad asked actually <laughs> on, on our last episode because it feels like every single game Villanova picks out a player that they're going to let shoot. It was Andrew uh, Andre Hogard at Michigan State. It was Andre Jackson at UConn. Xavier did the same thing. It had also hurt them a little bit. And then on Saturday, it was Stevie Mitchell. And they've gotten burned every single time. So I wonder if you've changed your mind at all about the answers we gave on thursday about whether we were okay with that or not uh i still haven't because mitchell's at least better than an andre jackson or an aj hogard um from from putting it up from from deep and a whole point of why they did that against those teams was to try and limit options for very very talented offensive players i i think it just is simple enough that this team has very poor three-point shooting defense and that's going to factor in anyway on this. So I I'm still, I still get it because all right, if say they go out on uh, Andre Jackson, do you really want to know, go to play one-on-one the whole game? Cause I don't. That that was what made it so frustrating too, though, because why didn't they just stick man to man? Why did they have to try and draw the double team on a guy like Igodara when they could have benefited from him scoring more points if it was going to take away open looks. So I I agree. I am also okay with letting one guy shoot if it's going to double somebody else who really needs to be doubled, but I'm definitely getting, uh, I'm getting less and less patient on that approach as as the games go on here. As, as am I, and you're factoring it into the really not fun part to talk about this. So (laughs) I apologize for everyone listening, but we have to talk about it. I think coaching was a, was a big deal on Saturday and, and, We've discussed it. You know, this is Kyle Neptune's first year as, as Villanova head coach. He deserves time. He he does. But I thought Saturday was a, a rough outing for him. And I thought he was outcoached by Shaka Smart, who is one of the best coaches in the country. Talk about offensive game plan. I, I do think that can be traced back to the coach. There was even a time where Marquette went to a 3-2 zone. How When do you ever see a 3-2 zone? But Shaka felt comfortable enough going to it because he knows that Villanova wants to shoot threes. And Nova still went up and shot threes there. Um, There was a a point where Nova was up 53-46. That turned into 57-55 after a big run from Marquette. Neptune has shown that he really doesn't like to call timeouts to stop momentum, and I 
really, really disagree with that. I furthermore with game management, you go just a game ago, the last time out was called with eight minutes left in the game against UConn. Now that was called by Chris Archdiakono, uh, but still there, there weren't too many timeouts left at that point. And then the one that I'm sure we will now really go into Cam Whitmore sat out most of the final seven minutes of the game. And I, I don't know how that's even close to defensible. Oh boy. Oh boy, Pat. A lot of, po- I know we, listen, we had to do it. You can't, you don't get a pass after how poor things were on Saturday. No. And uh, I guess I'll start with the Whitmore point. You and I agreed that Neptune exercised a quick hook against mm-hmm. UConn. And we he both like that because Armstrong and Whitmore played really poorly against UConn. I guess we haven't mentioned it, but this was Cam Whitmore's first start against Marquette. Armstrong came off the bench. Whitmore started with Arch and Daniels. This was the first time in three games, at least since big place, big East play started that I was back to feeling really confident about Whitmore at the beginning of the game. It looked great. Yeah. He had, he scored the first nine points. I believed it was, I believe it was, he was driving to the basket. He was so aggressive. He was able to step back and take that three. He only, he finished with 14 points. He of course had the four turnovers, which kills you every single time. But I felt like he didn't try to do too much. This is exactly what we were talking about. He didn't try to do too much. He was settling. They were actually game planning plays for him. And he still sat out. So it's okay when it's defensible because he's making a ton of mistakes. He had 14 points and eight rebounds. You don't have a lot of other players on Nova that can do that. So to leave him on the bench for Arch, who they had a phenomenal offensive possession get the offensive rebound, make the extra pass, and it falls into Arch's hands for the go-ahead three. I still just cannot get that play out of my head. You have to put the correct personnel out there for the correct circumstance, and you need shooters. And Cam Whitmore fits perfectly into that category. Yeah, the frustration was very high on that. I went through it. They scored eight points in the final nine and a half minutes of that game. And to think that Cam Whitmore can't help remedy that with, with how he started off it, I, I don't think there's a way to defend keeping your most offensively talented player on the bench when you really needed some sort of scoring bump. Yes, I understand he had the four turnovers. That, that can certainly be an issue, and it is an issue. But when you need a spark and you needed a bucket to not have him out there, I, I can't do it. And, and worse than that, too, I Kyle's response after the game was that it was done in an effort to keep everyone fresh. Okay, I, I I don't that it's it's not true. Like it, it, it I'm pretty sure it was because of the turnovers there, and he wanted to to try to trust having that ball be be taken care of a little bit more. But it, it's just I I completely just dis- you can hear it in my voice here. I completely disagree with with not having him out there when they needed a game to be impacted. So in a similar vein, I've had more issues with Armstrong's game of late, just because I feel like things aren't clicking the way they hoped they would. They haven't been. You've seen a significant minutes decrease because of that. But when you talk about spark plug off the bench, I can't think of a lot of guys that come quicker to mind than Mark Armstrong. So to see his minutes decrease again, I thought he played well against Marquette. I think this was actually one of his better games in a while. 14 minutes. You can't get going in the way that he does. His style of play just doesn't allow for that. So There's got to be some switch in philosophy. Either you go all in, which is what Neptune seemed to be doing at the beginning when he really let these freshmen have some run. Now it feels like it's turning back into an experience game. But 
I don't think it's a coincidence that now you're also starting to lose games down the stretch. Like you can't have it both ways. You got to take the risk. If that means you're getting a higher upside on offense when you're only losing games by two. And I think it was seven or eight against UConn, but it didn't actually end up being that far apart. So I am fully in the camp of taking the risk. If it's going to mean that you have more upside on offense. And then I think the final part of kind of the trepidations with how Saturday's game was coached was yet again, you saw a less than inspiring final play um, there with, with it going to Eric Dixon just for a back down and a fadeaway mid-range jumper, right? I, I would think you can come up with something better out of a timeout and seven seconds left to, to get some sort of a cutter to the basket, some sort of three-point option and try and find something that works. We saw it against Michigan State where things were not ugly or things were not pretty. Uh, we saw it again here where it just, it, that's not an ideal shot. He almost made it, absolutely, because he's Eric Dixon and he's a damn good player, but... I, I would like to see more there. So I I think Kyle Neptune, it has to be mentioned that Saturday was a poor one for him. Again, it's only his second year as head coach, his first at Villanova. But this was uh, this was not a good showing uh, for him. And I, I'm really hoping we start to see some adjustments because he quite simply got outcoached on Saturday. Yeah, I have been begging for Dixon to get the last touch in a, in a single possession game down to, the, down to the final seconds. He finally did, but it was just about the last, scenario that you would want that fadeaway jumper again you give him credit because he can make a shot from almost any spot on the floor but that would have been one of the few times where I was okay giving it to a shooter giving it to Caleb to take kind of a contested two which he had done at least a few times find Dixon down low or find a shooter You, you did something exactly in between and that's just not a good final look he also wasted about two seconds calling that timeout I think they crossed half court with 12 and they ended up calling a timeout with like nine or ten so mm. that's just it, it, it's not a good way to end the game when you felt like again it just slipped out of your grasp again Villanova had done a better job at least from last year closing teams out it didn't feel like depth was an issue this year it didn't feel like guys were fatigued but again now they are looking like they are in control for 35 minutes of games and in the final five to ten minutes they completely crash and burn. 22 points in the second half. I know that you mentioned it, but I just got to say it again because that is remarkable. Yes, Marquette's defense is good. Yes, it is. points in the second half is not what this team should be doing. Yeah. I end a scene um, is, how, <laughs> is, is how I look at it. I, I think we've gotten the, the grievances out there, and I know this is a negative show for, for everyone listening, but that, that was a – I cannot underestimate or understate – how uh, how bad of a, a game that was for Villanova to drop on Saturday. They desperately needed it, and there were a lot of very poor things that came out in that game. Do you think Cam continues to start? I do. I do. I uh, I, I think that you're going to see him in the lineup more, and the question is just what's that leash going to look like yeah. for him? Because he started and he played 27 minutes, which is good. I mean, it's much better than, than what we've seen, and a part of that is because he earned the you know 27 minutes he played really really well despite the four turnovers we've seen those those minute numbers go down a little bit more around the 20 mark when he is not impacting the game as much and when he is turning the ball over I just would have liked to have seen it in the low 30s because he did play so well in this game and I think they followed the kind of game plan that we even outlined just a week ago to a T where the first play of the game they got the ball to Cam Whitmore's hands, and he had an easy drive for an easy bucket. There he is. He's involved in the game. You didn't see as many chucked up threes as we had seen from him. So I do think he continues to start, and I'm really curious. As, do we see him cross that 30-minute mark at some point soon? Yeah, I, felt, I was so happy for you when he made that first play, and they, they gave it right to him. 
I felt good. I'm like, oh, I called that one. Thank you. You called it perfectly. I agree. I think he starts. I think it's actually a game or two later than it should have been. I would have been fine with him starting against St. John's even to start off Big East play. I think the question will always be if Mark Armstrong earns the starting spot over Chris Arch. I, I do not think it's going to happen. Yeah, I think it's going to depend a lot on how he plays in the next few games because he just hasn't earned it. Like you said, there, but he just has not earned it. Arch has been the more dependable player. Notice how I didn't say shooter, mm-hmm. but the more dependable player as of late. And Armstrong is going to have to try really, really hard to shoot his offensive numbers up because that is his strength over Arch. And and right now it's it's just not enough to to really justify playing more minutes. Yeah, I don't think it's realistic to think Archidiakono is coming out of this lineup un- until the only time you can start to make that argument is if there's a healthy Justin Moore. And then it's, yeah. you know, he assuming that that lead guard role. But otherwise, I, I think he is pretty firmly planted in that spot. I feel the same way. Another thing, uh, just to pile on to the negatives, because why not at this point? The only yeah. way we line seven times. Oh, so, yeah. It's a, it's a theme. Know. They have to get to the line. Anytime that they're under 10, even 15, to be honest with you, it's an immediate red flag. And it was a huge one. You have to get to the line. It's what this team does better than pretty much everybody in the in the country. And if they can't get 15 easy points, then it's going to be really hard for this team to win. And it was. At least they have a game to, you would think, to be a potential get-right game going next. So Pat, but... every single time I've said that this season, you have given me the hardest time for saying it. And you've been right. They haven't played Georgetown yet, though. (laughs) (laughs) It was the Delaware States. It was the pen that looked tough at the beginning. BC was okay. And even St. Joe's obviously was was a nightmare at half even. So I pray to God that you are right. As do I. Easy for the full 40 minutes. But at this point, I'm just not sure we can expect that. But it is Georgetown, who was what? 0 for 20. Oh, I've got more. I've got more numbers. We'll we'll get into that in in a second. Um. But no, I, I don't think you can expect for an easy one come Wednesday night. Ken Palm's got this down to Villanova only winning by seven at this point, which that's not comfortable against a team as bad as what we're going to go into. But before we go into that, I, there is some very large Villanova news that we have to dig into first, and that is late last week. Angelo Brizzy did enter the transfer portal, so he that ends his tenure here at Villanova. A red shirt last year featured in a couple games this year before you know, really getting put on the bench after some struggles defensively. But this one stung for me. And I, I think this is a very tough loss for the program to lose Angelo Brizzy, especially as we look at succession planning for how mm-hmm. Villanova had liked to do things, really groom those guards, let them take over and really spread their wings here. Brizzy leaving really clips that opportunity. And, you know, we've seen some guys transfer out over the the last couple of years. You know, think of it, Brian Antoine, of course, most recently, Javon Quinterly went, Dylan Painter went. I think you feel okay with those because you knew like, uh, you know, it really wasn't working here. It, it makes sense for them to go on. For for Angelo Brizzy to cut bait, who's someone who I think really flashed some potential and a guard that I was incredibly excited about for his Villanova future and the potential that he could bring there this is a bad loss for for the program. And I, I do think this one's going to sting over the next couple of years here. And what it really signals is it truly is a new age of college basketball. Um, you know, if these younger guys, they do not play, they don't feel that they are being treated the way that they want to as recruits. There is nothing to stop them from leaving at this point because they don't have to sit out in the transfer portal. They can go wherever they want and they can be eligible to play the next year. So I think this was the first 
real taste of that bad medicine here for Villanova in seeing what this new age brings. And it's also a bit of a wake up call to say, I, I wonder if Nova has to change how things are done moving forward, because this is a very real possibility now. Yeah, there's almost nothing up to to question about how active they're going to be in the transfer portal. They have to be. They don't have a choice now. Yeah. The first thing I thought of was, wow, Jay Wright was right. If he, if one of his reasons for retiring was, it was. that <laughs> the NIL and transfer scene was just becoming too much to handle, this would have been one of the biggest things he had to handle this year. Um, if I mean, you said everything literally perfectly. I'm just piling on on different points. If Brunson was groomed under Ryan Archidiakno and Gillespie was groomed under Brunson. Rizzi had been groomed under Gillespie. That was the next succession plan. I, I love the way you put that. He was the heir to the point guard. Throw. He was actually groomed under Chris Archidiakno. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to make people laugh after what we've talked through today. It's tough. No, I, I think he was the epitome of the Villanova basketball player. This is by far the most surprising transfer we've had in the last few years again i think you said it perfectly and all those guys you had reasons for why whether it was a cultural change or brandy antoine's injury issues brizzy was pretty frankly at this point of course we haven't heard from him but he just wasn't happy with his playing time so yeah you got to assume that's it elsewhere uh and that's tough because he filled a void before whitmore came back that was really really important of course he had his defensive issues he didn't come on as strong offensively as I think a lot of us hoped, but if Villanova is good at anything, it is good at, at developing guards. And mm-hmm. you, I think everybody, no matter where this season ends up, would be excited at the position Grizzy would be in next year. And now that has become a complete not factor because he is no longer. So yeah, it's just it's really disappointing to think about how much of a step he could have taken next year. Filling that guard hole, guard was already a position mm-hmm. of concern going into next season, and now it's become even a bigger need that they have to fix in the transfer portal. There's no other way at this point. I'm really bummed at this one. I, I had high hopes for for Brizzy here, and I think Brizzy is going to be a good player wherever he goes. Um, So you're right. They're going to have to hit the portal. They're going to have to continue to, to try and develop these guys. Um. And you're going to need to see a step forward from Longino. You're going to need to see Armstrong continue to go forward here. I think Archdiakono will be back for another year. Um, so we'll, we'll see how this roster progresses. But to your point, they there's no way that they do not hit the transfer portal this offseason. Yeah. They just, they have to. Literally in terms of volume and, and, and holes in the lineup, they have to. But again, I, I think Brizzy did a really, really good job filling a hole where the team needed him when the team was struggling with injuries brizzy was the guy that they leaned on he had a phenomenal attitude he always felt like always felt like he was on the floor first he was hyping the, the team up so it stinks to lose a player of that caliber a person of that caliber it also seemed like he had a really really strong relationship with gillespie and a lot of the older players from last year so of course we wish the best for him i didn't yep. even realize how strong some of his other offers were coming into college so I hope yeah like michigan arizona that. right there yeah. were, there were some some good Davidson some good schools up there i can see him fitting into a program like that so hopefully we know in the next few weeks where he ends up certainly but all right i think we've talked uh, enough about the struggles that, that villanova had faced and some bad news for the program here let's talk about a team in way worse shape than villanova um because that's always fun Effective. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that would be your Georgetown Hoyas com- coming in at five and 10 thus far this season. They are 0 for 29 in their last 29 games against power conference teams. The last time they beat a big East team, and 
this really does blow my mind was the Creighton Blue Jays in the Big East tournament title game wow. in 2021. That is the last time they beat a Big East opponent. As a whole, in 2022, they finished 5-29, and and they are currently ranked 202nd in the country by Ken Palm. The only reason Patrick Ewing has that job is that last win. Does that sound reasonable to you? He still shouldn't have it right now, even, <laughs> no, no, even with that. Yeah. <laughs> but if Georgetown didn't have that Big East tournament run, think about where this program would be. Truly. It's pretty insane to think about it. The funny thing is that, oh my God, we've, we've gone down this road so many times about how there's just a miscommunication amongst Georgetown players. Cutis Wahab transferred to Maryland. He transferred back. But at that point, Aminu Muhammad had already gone on to the NBA. They've had good talent. And I think this offense as a whole isn't terrible. They score a lot of points per game. It just doesn't mesh. And their defense is so abysmal that it just doesn't translate into wins. I don't understand where this team is going with Patrick Ewing. You would you would be able to rehash it better than I would what happened last year. They seemed like they were going to fire him and then they backed him. And now they seem to have backed themselves in a corner where nobody wins at the end of the season, mm-hmm. no matter how many wins Georgetown is able to get in Big East play. No, n- nobody wins with the situation that that they're in. But as you said, transfers have been a huge issue under Ewing here. He, he seemingly has been able to accumulate talented players, but they leave. And, and so something very clearly is not right there. You know, you, you mentioned Cutis Wahab, Dante Harris, uh, most recently uh, transferred. He was, of course, a hero uh, of that Big East tournament title run. James Akinjo transferred out and had a very nice career at Arizona and Baylor uh, after transferring out here. So we've seen it a couple times for it. As you said, they did double down on him last year at really didn't make any sense the, the real talking point here is how much longer can this go on because it is a complete embarrassment i mean for all the villanova alumni out there listening to this everyone knows where georgetown has been and, and was in, in college basketball they're one of the pillars of college basketball they're one of the dominant forces in college basketball they're one of villanova's biggest rivals for so long um there's so much history that goes on with, with Villanova and the Georgetown Hoyas and, and Georgetown in particular. To see where they currently are right now is is honestly shocking. And in hindsight, this Big East tournament run in 2021, how incredible is it that it even happened with, right. with how putrid everything has been since then? It's It really is remarkable here. Um, the calls are going to have been really amplified lately and they will continue to be that way for Ewing to to step down I'm not sure you're going to see Patrick Ewing step down because if he hasn't done it at this point why would he do it uh where we are right now but there is absolutely no way that he can be the coach uh, going into next season there's no way that Georgetown can stomach doing this again because they have where they were to where they are it's honestly almost incomprehensible yeah, and I had forgotten about James Akinjo, too. They've had good players, so it's even more concerning that the name of Patrick Ewing isn't able to keep them there. I, I, we've been lucky enough to have Dana O'Neill on a couple of times mm-hmm. on this podcast and the one we had prior, Did You Hear? And I still remember one of the most important things I think she's ever said. She's obviously one of the most well-versed Big East basketball people She's ever. the best. When Georgetown and St. John's are good, this conference looks different. Mm -hmm. and neither of those teams have been able to pull their weight in the last few years 
I don't think Mick, Mike Anderson makes it through the end of the season. And I actually think at some point, just literally to save face, they are going to let Ewing go. I, I don't know. It feels like the only reason they've kept him this long is because of the relationship. I don't think they want. Oh, absolutely. Minds to be tainted of the greatness that Patrick Ewing once was at Georgetown. Everything he's meant to this program is fairly obvious when you lay it all out like that. Of course, you hoped things had gone differently, but at what point is it becoming an embarrassment? It is. It's been an embarrassment. An embarrassment to this conference. They are becoming the laughingstock of college basketball because they cannot keep up. They would have been relegated three years ago if this was soccer. <laughs> oh, thank you Maybe for the soccer four. reference. So I, I don't know what they do. There's Again, nobody wins because Ewing either steps down in three games or they let him go at the end of the season. Who would want to come in and coach this program is another question I have, just given the tumultuous ups and downs it has had over the past few seasons. And I think in the same vein, I think Mike Anderson is in some hot water if St. John's can't turn their conference play around. You say the laughingstock of college basketball. I do give them a reprieve because the Louisville Cardinals do True. exist. Um, and I've thoroughly enjoyed that from going from Chris Mack to Kenny Payne and a 2-12 and season thus far. And it got destroyed by Kentucky uh, over the weekend. But of course, uh, Georgetown in that conversation as well. As we said, things have been very, very rough for the Hoyas. But that said, we went through it. The, the Ken Palm pr- projection is now much closer than I think many Villanovans would feel comfortable with uh, come Wednesday night. As we do look at that team, uh, Primo Spears is really the name to really look at. He's a Duquesne transfer. He averages 16 points a game. That's good for fifth best in the Big East. Uh, Brandon Murray came over from LSU after the big exodus from LSU uh, and has done a nice job at being able to pour in some points. You'll recognize the names of Koka Cook and Kudus Wahab as two of the solid big men. I mean, the last time we saw Kudus Wahab against Villanova, he scored 17 points. Yeah, uh, and he- it's the same amount of points he scored in the last regular season game. Uh, he also played against Villanova, of course, before that Big East tournament game uh, again. So uh, been strong against Nova. It's been mixed results with, with him coming back for Georgetown. As you said, defensively, they are, we've talked about Villanova's frailties. They are that times 10 um, for, for Georgetown here. So you really want to see Villanova get into some sort of offensive groove. Uh, and then listen, this is a very bad basketball team. There, There's no way around it. So, I think many times this year we've talked about it and it has been all Villanova just needs to take care of business and get the win. Yes, they absolutely do. But I want to see them start to put things in a, in a better direction here because it, this is, you, well, you can't come become the first team that Georgetown beats, right? It just it can't oh happen. God, no, no. I, I think if you lose by less than 10, we still have issues. We still have some qualms with that. Yeah. Something we didn't mention against Marquette too. Villanova had 13 turnovers. I think six of them were in the first 10 or so minutes of that game. So they have to keep it clean against Georgetown. They have good size down low, like all those guys you just mentioned, the Cooker Cook, Wahab, et cetera. It's just that defense. Every team in conference has scored more than 80 against them. Villanova has to keep par with those teams. Yes, a win's a win. I get it. You want to be above 500, you can't lose to Georgetown. But I want to see this offense really explode against a bad defense because they could do that against Delaware State. They couldn't really do that against St. Joe's. Get a big win here. This team absolutely needs it. And I'd love to see more time for the freshmen too. It's been a few games now where we haven't been able to see a lot of Brensenhausen or a lot of Mark Armstrong like we've talked mm-hmm. about. This could be a really good reset for those guys. You hope so. I, I'm not sure you can really expect, you know, say a, a dominant performance from Villanova because this team has shown nothing to prove they can be dominant, but what you need to see are strides forward and, and you need to see improvement out there. And it's a road game. 
they obviously have to win this game uh, as many of these games are going to be have to wins over the next month or so. Um, but especially against a team this poor, you, you've got to see things start to move in the other direction. I want to see Neptune and see how he comes off of a, a, a rough performance and, and see if anything changes there. there. There are a lot of things I'm still looking for here, uh, even though we, we all know who they're going up against. Nova had really had two really tough back-to-back losses by 20 plus points. Mm-hmm. If anybody remembers that last year at the beginning of conference play. And look where that team ended up. So I'm hoping that two losses in a row, two winnable games against good teams, yes, like Baylor and Creighton were last year, but more so Villanova played poorly. I hope they can rebound in the same way. Of course, the ceiling is not as high as a Final Four appearance like it was last year. No, it's getting the tournament now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they, they've got to be able to get some easy wins. I understand that it might not re- be realistic. I understand that they've done nothing to prove that they can do that. But you really hope that the leaders, especially the Slaters, the Dixons, the Daniels, the Arches, in that case, can just not pedal on the gas, do not let up, start off fast and close this game out. I think the fans need an easy one, Pat. What do you think? I, I certainly do. I, Villanova needs a reprieve right now, and, and this is their opportunity to be able to get one. So I I. We've talked a lot about the negatives that we've seen. Here's a chance to kind of flip that script, go out there, feel good at a positive note, and go into a very important home game against a very strong Musketeer team uh, over the weekend. 100%. So in a lighter vein, I experimented with myself on Saturday and tried to watch the Villanova-Marquette game at a bar. Oh, there we go. I'm still not able to do that because I just cannot watch Villanova basketball casually. So luckily I was close (laughs) enough that I was able to be home for the final that's amazing that game in the safety of my own home so on a personal level i just need an easy game for villanova that's all i'm asking i appreciate you going out on a limb though and, and trying something different there that's uh that's fine i've been watching soccer games out in bars lately and it's been uh, yeah that's fun and it's a very fun experience and i've actually controlled myself so i'm very happy there, there you go. yeah exactly limiting <laughs> the screaming <laughs> exactly exactly but whew, that i said that's it for me is there anything else you wanted to hit no no, definitely a more negative episode, but I just think a bit. We've been trying to air our grievances, hope that it's turning around, and and to be honest with everybody listening, and I'm sure everybody feels the same way. You can't really talk about it any differently for a team that's sitting at seven seven, who's hoping to get into the tournament at this point. Definitely not something Villanova fans are used to, but we're just gonna give it like we see it, and hopefully this team turns around and we're able to talk in a more positive way in the next month or so. This was just a let it all out episode. You know, it's uh, starting off the new year. You got to get some things off your chest um, so we can uh, all progress and move into 2023. And that's exactly what this was. So take this all as a Villanova therapy session. We're all frustrated. We're, we're all very annoyed with what we've seen. But again, chance to start to flip that script on Wednesday. But game recap on Thursday as well. Get ready for it. Yeah, exactly. But all right, that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com for all your Villanova content all season long. Follow us on Spotify, subscribe to the show on iTunes, and follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N-Pod. We will be back at it on Thursday. Nova Nation, I hope you have an incredible 2023. Let's kick things off with a win against the Hoyas on Wednesday. We'll talk to you Thursday morning. Nova Nation. That's a wrap.